Thank you for joining me today on the Saving Capitalism podcast. Today, I have what could be one of the most interesting men alive. Um, I I met Steve Sims uh, a couple years back and got to spend a few days with him in Hawaii. And I, I got to tell you, guys, I was uh, impressed. I was in shock and I laughed a lot. And uh, what an amazing person. And you have a couple books out, Steve, right? You got a new one coming out and I want to hit on this and I want to talk about it. But first, Steve, you, you got to tell everybody kind of, first of all, what you do, because trying to explain to people what Steve Sims does and has done that, that's, that's something in, in itself right there. Well, no one believes it. So there's two things that I do. One of them is I teach, train, coach, and speak all over the planet, as, as you know, on the things that I've done and do. And what I do is, as Forbes called me, I'm the real-life Wizard of Oz, I get done what people don't believe can be done. And so, give you an argument's sake, I've done drum lessons with Guns N' Roses. I had a couple that wanted to get married in the Vatican by the Pope. I had a a couple that wanted to have a family that wanted to have a meal in Florence. So I shut down the academia, the museum that houses Michelangelo's David and set a table of six up at the feet of David at nine o'clock at night. And then for shits and giggles, as they hit that main course, I had Andrea Bocelli come out and serenade him during that meal. So I'm the guy that if you can possibly conceive it and you have a big enough checkbook to pull it off, I'm the guy that makes it happen. Now, I think the most amazing part about this is people would assume, all right, you're a really well-connected guy. You obviously grew up with the who's who's, right? <laughs> you, 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 know, you, you know, you were in all the parties. Oh, yeah. You were, you know, that. So uh, why don't we go back there and talk about how does, how, you know, did you, did you grow up in a manager? It was your dad a politician, right? Do you know everybody? Is that how you got into this position? Yeah, my dad owned England. Um, so that kind of <laughs> helped. Um, I was a pissed off bricklayer. I got kicked off, uh, kicked out of school at the age of 15. Um, I was on the building site and I was pissed off. I was aggravated like, like you, like lots of people, probably like everybody listening to this podcast. Um, we were aggravated. We were curious. We want better. We want more. We demand more of ourselves. Um, and at the age of 15 years old, I was like, is this my life now? Am I going to be on a building site with a bunch of drunks for the rest of my life? Um, and so I was aggravated to try and find an alternative. Of course, I didn't have YouTube and Instagram to point how, how inadequate my life was. So I just tried to change the rooms I was in. And it was, it was awkward and it was uncomfortable. But I was getting out of the, the, the biker bars and the, the, the builder bars that I was in and started hanging out in these new things in East London called wine bars, you know? And all this kind of, you know, snobby and posh, the, the period of the yuppies, stood out like a sore thumb. But I wanted to see, hang on a minute, maybe I'm missing something, you know? Because I'll work, I'll get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and go to bed at 11 o'clock at night. You know, I'll rough it, I'll go toe-to-toe with you, so I'm not frightened of hard work. But why am I not making it like you are? And that's what I did. I went out to have those conversations. And along the way, people were like, oh, um, I need to get into this bar or I need to get into this club or I need to get. And I was like, oh, I'll help you. 
and I started helping people pull these things off um, only because I wanted to have a conversation with them. And I always joke that I was not in the business you thought I was in. Now, I was known as the Mr. Connector. I was known, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, said that I was the most connected man in the planet that you'd never heard of. Um, I didn't care about red carpet. You've met me. I didn't care about red carpets. I didn't care about hanging out backstage with the Who or Rolling Stones. I didn't care about any of that shit. I wanted you, my client, to do that so that a few days later I could go, hey, Johnny, did you enjoy it? Yeah. Hey, let's, let's have lunch. And then I would basically just podcast you before podcasts existed and get the information I need out of you. And I've had conversations with, you know, the head of the Vatican, who, funny enough, is not the Pope, um, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Elton John. I've had conversations with these people and far more people that you've never heard of. They just own things like countries. And I've, I've asked them, how do you recruit? How do you get into relationships? How do you gauge skepticism? How do you handle hate? How do you handle uh, people trying to grab from you? You know, when do you, how do you outsource? Um, and all of these kind of things, I interviewed some of the best people in the planet. And then I did that for 25 years. And then eight, about eight years ago, um, I was in a party and there was someone there from Simon & Schuster, this publishing place that I'd never heard of. And quite simply, I was just telling a story and drinking an old-fashioned. And they went, oh, you should write a book. And I went, <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny. And that was it. That was as serious as I took it. And then the following Thursday, I actually got a written offer to publish my first book, Blue Fishing. Um, I thought, no one's going to believe this. Yeah, no one's going to buy this. So they paid me very well. So I was like, fuck it, I'll do the book. So I did the book. And it got translated, I think it was like nine languages, got bestseller all over the place. And it was so simple that it aggravated me again. And people will literally go, oh, I've got this problem with marketing. Let me spend 20 grand on Facebook ads while they don't pay attention to the way they brand, the way they show up, the way they communicate. Now, me and you have met. And since then, have I ever shown up in your social feeds, in email, anywhere that you've seen me, have I ever been any different to the person you met? No, no. So many people are, though. And so I wrote this book thinking, this won't make it. And it did. And then I wrote Go For Stupid, The Art of Achieving Ridiculous Goals uh, last October, which is another smack in the, in the scrotum just to go, look, focus on the basics and go for stupid, ridiculous goals. And the daft thing is, by doing one with the other, you'll achieve them. And so that's basically been it. I, I grew up poor. It pissed me off because I don't care who you are. No one likes being poor. Um, it is not romantic. They show it on the movies. It's not endearing. It's not in chart. And it's fucking horrible. So I went out of my way to find out how I needn't be that way anymore. And along the way, I just helped others become the same. Now, you have such a unique ability to change your circumstances. And the one thing, honestly, that surprised me about you and spending time with you was that I think a lot of people think that it, it's this, this a master plan or this grandiose thing. It, it, and it's so organic. It's so natural. And it was shocking to me because I, I was kind of like, 
what's my problem? Wait, I'm not doing the work. I'm not like how in the, like, it was amazing to me. Um, the fact that, you know, you, it seemed like just made the decision. Oh no, it's not going to be more complicated. I don't need to be Harvard educated. I don't need to know all these people. I'm going to put myself in the right circumstances and I'm going to, I'm going to make things happen for me. Right. I'm going to change my circumstances. I'm going to be able to help people by figuring out a way when everybody else is like, ah, you can't do that. You didn't say that. You said, "Eh, I think I can figure that out. I think I was lucky because I was dumb and poor and (laughs) we don't, we don't actually respect that. And it, it, yes, yes, it sounds funny to say that, but when you've got nothing to lose, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. So when people are going, oh, I can't get into that club, me crossing the road and just going up to a dorm and going, hey, I've got five people that could basically buy half a dozen of your tables here and keep you in profit for the night. Can they come in? You know, just saying something like that, you know, they'll be like, yeah, sure, get them over it. Great, okay. I had nothing to lose. If he shut the door in my face... I had nothing to lose. So it was so simple that I asked. And the amount of people that I would approach, and there's a, there's a I can't say famous story, but there's a big story of mine um, that, uh, that I tell about how I got this, this, um, this museum to shut down in Florence uh, that houses Michelangelo's David. And at the end of it, I was kind of stunned that I'd pulled it off. Because bear in mind, I only had 48 hours to come up with something. And this was the first place I tried because it was so ridiculous. You know, it was so out there. You know, if you're going to go to Paris and if I set you up for a meal in Paris, where would it have to be? Tell me. For me? Yeah. If Um, if it was... I don't know, Vatican? Or not, you were in Paris, sorry, the Louvre? I don't know. The Louvre? (laughs) uh eiffel tower eiffel tower yeah it has to be something like that yeah, though doesn't it if exactly. it's, if it's going to be in england prepared. it's going to be in parliament or buckingham yeah. palace the bottom yep. line of it is every location in the planet has a couple of those places that can't be replicated anywhere else there's yes. no eiffel tower in texas all right yeah unless you said a you know little putting range and it's <laughs> yeah. about two foot tall but so when I went and someone said, I want the most amazing dining experience in Florence, I had to go, what is iconically Florence? And I came up with the Statue of David, which is you know nowhere else. And when I approached them and said, hey, I'd like to have a dinner party here at nine o'clock at night. Can you shut the museum down for me? And they agreed. I was like, hang on. How the hell did they shut it down for me? And then I realized because I dared to ask. And the daft thing is, we dare to ask. Now, if you're sitting there and your home is perfect and your bank account is perfect and your kids and family's financial goals are perfect and you have no problems, then you're sure as shit not listening to this podcast. Because mm-hmm. you, we want more. We always want more. I live very well and I'm very happy and I haven't got to worry about my next dollar. But I do worry about my next growth. And I want to experience things. I want to challenge myself. I want to push myself. I love being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so I'm constantly trying to see, okay, I did this with a Pope. I did this with Elton John. What else can I do? You know? And those are the things that are inspiring me. So I think today, stop worrying about the the, the big elephant or the, the big grandiose thing. 
focus on the tiny little things that you can change. Your brand, your focus. I'll, I'll, I'll finish my rant. How many people become dentists and then look like every other dentist? They want a unique business, but they end up building up a website that looks like every other dental company in the planet. Realtors, they all look the same. Attorneys, Silicon Valley venture capitalists, Silicon Valley widget designers. Every time you step into a sandpit of your industry, the first thing they do instinctively and stupidly is adopt the cloak of everyone else in that sandpit and then cry because they're not standing out as being a unicorn. We're all different. You're different. I'm different. And I show up as me. And do you know how much effort it takes for me to be me? Zero. Yeah. So you say about uniquely and you're standing out and you can't avoid this and they, they can't not see it. That's because I dare to show up. I dare to not only ask more of what I want, but I dare to make sure that I am me. Relieve myself of the stress and get the focus all my energy on you. You know, you have this way of going about it, which I, I, I try to express to a lot of people that, well, I don't have this and I don't have that, you know, where instead you, you approach it in saying, these are the things that are needed, so I don't need to have them, but I need to put them together. But you make markets, right? And this is, this is the biggest skill set and a lot of people don't understand this. The The most wealthiest people in the world didn't have the money. They made a market and they were the ones that accumulated the cash, right? They utilized other people's resources, the other people's um, skills, other people's uh, wants, desires. All they do is make that market. And you make markets in places that nobody even thought to make a market. And that is like, I know if I want something crazy... You're the guy I'm going to call. There's not a market for that. Okay, that's fine. I know who to call, right? So if I want to do something and they're like, AJ, there is no, like, you can't go Google it. There's nobody that does that. It doesn't mean that it can't be done. It just means nobody's put those things together. You're that guy. When did you, when did you realize, or when was the first time that you thought, I want this, I can't have it, I'm going to figure it out and realized, oh, wow, this could be done. Like, I don't need to have the money. I don't need to be the guy that has no time. But I can get into that party. I can do this thing as long as I make a market. When was the first time that you tried that out, basically, and it worked? So there was, there's two answers to that. There was one, I actually moved to Hong Kong because I wanted to be a stockbroker. Because stockbrokers were rich. And mm -hmm. I thought, if I can be a stockbroker, that'd be good. I landed on the Saturday. I did orientation on the Monday. And I was fired on the Tuesday. <laughs> So I have, I think, the Guinness World Record of the shortest career in finance. And that's bloody good. When you know how I handle my finances, uh, i.e. I don't. I, that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. They did a, they did a wise thing there. Um, but I ended up working on the door of a nightclub. And this is one big lesson. As entrepreneurs, we see what we want to see. And let me, again, this is going to rant on a couple of bits. So I'll try and make sure there's a consistent thread. When was the last time that you went to like a, a garage, a car park, a car dealership, and you're looking over these cars, and then there's this one car that stands out because it's like pea green or like, you know, violent yellow or, or some weird orange. And you go, wow, that's a, that's a weird color car. I've never seen that before. 
And then when you're driving home, what's the only color car you can see on the road? It's that violent yellow. <laughs> it's that putrid orange, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, because all of a sudden your mind got unlocked to see that. Mm-hmm. As entrepreneurs, we're, we're constantly bombarded with a lot of information and a lot of distortion and distraction, but we unlock our brain to be able to see that putrid orange as opportunity. So when something comes at us, we don't see the pain, we see the opportunity. So when I was in uh, Hong Kong and I lost my job and I'm suddenly working on the door, I was with two other meatheads and their job was basically to score as much ass as they could and save as much blood off their shirt as possible. My job was to utilize this as a way of making connections with the affluent side of that club that wanted to come in. So I would literally let the people in, and then as the doormen are doing their rounds inside and it was my turn to do the round, I'd walk around some of like the private tables and stuff like that, and I'd be like, hey, you having a good night? Is everything good? Do you need anything? Oh, no, we're good. Thanks. I'm the doorman, but I'm going around making sure everyone's okay, okay? Because I could see you had money, and I didn't want your money, but I wanted to know how you got your money. Yes. What were you involved in? And the manager, and this was before, and let's be honest, yeah, you go to Cheesecake Factory and you always get a manager come around going, hey, I'm the manager, you having a good day? And you get that now, but you weren't getting it there and you weren't getting it from the clubs I was working in. And the manager was coming up to me going, what are you doing? I was like, just making sure everyone's happy. And they were like, oh, okay. They couldn't moan at me or fire yeah. me, yeah. but I was building up these relationships and I, there was these, I remember this. I can remember it vividly. There were these four guys, and they had, cut, they had cash. It was the first person I ever to see an American Express black card, okay? And I just thought this guy must own the planet. You know, he had a, he had a black card. Oh, my God. And I remember seeing it when he paid his tab. And I was like, oh, to have one of those. And they came up to me one night at the club. And they said to me, they said, uh, hey, you're going to the yacht party? Now, I was well known for trying to get into as many places as I could to just hang around with affluent people. I never had money, but I was getting into there. And nine times out of ten, because I was known as a pretty good doorman, and what that meant was that I was the guy that avoided fights. I was always good at calming it down, okay, until it needed to be. But, you know, I was that guy. So they came out to me and they said, um, are you going to the yacht party? And, of course, you're in Hong Kong. The entire island's got like four million yachts. Um, And I said, oh, probably. Which one are you talking about? Because I had no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) So he tells me about it. And I realized it was on the harbor just around from Wan Chai, which was where I was working. And I went, oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and then as they went into the club, I said to the guy next to me, because I could walk to the harbor from the bar I was at. I went, hey, do me a favor. Stay here. I'm going to go and check something. So I walked down there, took my tie off. So I've just got a black suit and a white shirt on. And I walked up to this lady that was um, just going through different stuff. And she was yelling at people to load stuff onto the yacht. And I went up to her and I said, hey, and she's busy. She's frantic. So and this is like two and a half, three hours before the party starts. And I went, hey, I don't want to disturb you because I know you're in your zone. But I just wanted to I just wanted to ask, we got four guys coming here tonight. Um, I believe it starts at nine o'clock. Did you want them waiting up in line at eight thirty, or would you rather they got here at ten when the bottlenecks kind of gone down? I'm just thinking of you. What would you prefer? 
and she 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 was rattled. And the first thing she did was start looking through the names on this list. Now, if you think about it, I never gave her the names. Yeah. Everyone has a knee-jerk reaction. This was hers. This was her defense. You know, you get these people that lean back and fold their arms. Everyone's got a retreat maneuver. Yeah. And her retreat was to go through the, the safety of this list to distract her. I had, and I said to her, hey, I'm not trying to stress you out. Really just trying to think what's going to work best for you. You've got a party to throw tonight. And I know from experience, this is going to be where all your energy and your effort and your focus is. Just want to make sure that my four guys can help by coming at the best time for you. So I was really focused on her. And she turned around and she went, oh, uh, yeah, 10 o'clock. And I went, thank you. And I said, but between me and you, let's be honest, most of these people are going to go on this party, have a great time, not know the person that actually put the magic together. So I want to say thank you. And I pulled out 400 bucks and I gave her 400 bucks. And I went, tomorrow, have yourself a takeaway and a bottle of wine and just be glad it's over and revel in the glory that you pulled a wonderful party together. I said, thanks a lot and have a good night. And I went to walk away. Now, what you didn't know was that was basically two-thirds of my entire bank account I had just given her. It was a gamble. It was rolling everything on black. And as I walked away, she went, oh, hang on a minute. And I went, what's that? She went, who are these guys? And I went, oh, it's, and she, I gave the net, and she literally wrote them down on the front. Didn't check, just wrote, because I'd established rapport with her yep. now. She wrote them down on the front of the piece of paper, and she said to me, she said, um, and, and I, she took the names down, I said, oh, is there anyone she should, have them ask for me. Tell them not to wait in line. Just have them come to, and ask for me. I went, thank you so much. We should, let's grab a coffee in a few days. And so I went back to the bar. Now, on the way back to the bar, I'm thinking, I just got these boys in. They were good-looking lads. They could afford any shit that was going to be sold on that boat. So these were good people, yeah. okay? And this was at the time where all the parties had a social photographer. So you wanted to show up in page six. These people were perfect page six items, not like me. So these guys worked well for this, for this look. I'm walking back to the club, and I'm suddenly thinking to myself, shit, what if they've gone home? You know, I've just spent 400 bucks, you know? So I got to the bar, walked into the bar, and there they were. And I walked up to them and I went, hey, guys, um, you know, I, I just pulled a few strings and I managed to get you to the yacht party tonight. And they were like, really? And I went, yeah. I said, you know, I've got to cover a few people. It's 500 bucks per person. And they jumped up that chair and literally just out of that wallet started throwing down 500 bucks. And a couple of the guys were like, hey, Johnny, I got you covered. No, Billy, I got you covered. They threw down on the table three grand. And I picked that three grand up. And as I'm counting it, I realized that four guys, 500 bucks, my math's terrible, but even I could work out that they'd paid me a grand too much. I was at that point in my life where this was like me losing a million bucks. I had to put that grand back on the table. And I went, sorry, boys, you overpaid. Bearing in mind, I'd made $1,600 profit. But, you know, they kept on coming back to me. And I realized that had these guys gone down to that, to that front of the boat, they could have done what I did. Nothing what I did yep. was special. It was all raw. It was all impossible. To me, and it was all caring about her. Yep. They could have done it. But today we're terrified of that word no. Yes. 
And they were so petrified that they would be turned down in front of their friends that the embarrassment stopped them coming back. But they weren't too concerned about spending $2,000. Yeah. So I suddenly thought to myself, people are funny. Yeah. You know, they've, they've got a real hang-up on being declined. Yeah. You know? 100%. So they started coming to me for a lot of things, and the stuff got bigger. And, oh, do you, I remember one person came to me when I was in Hong Kong still, and they went, oh, we want to go to Formula One in Monaco. And they said, um, can you help us out? And I'm like, sure. How many people are going? When do you want to go? Blah, blah, blah. I literally went back, and this is going to sound dumb, phoned up my dad that was in the UK, and you're going to love this. I asked him where Monaco was. <laughs> that's, that's how... But you see, the trouble is, too many people today, they want to be the knowledge center. They want to be perfect. Yes. They want to know everything and then start... Yep. But how many lessons have you learned that you thought you had all your shit together and you got smacked in the ass and you went, oh, fuck, I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. And because of that smack, you are now experienced and educated. Before that, you were just book smart. Yep. And that's what I've often, so I've always said to people, hey, get going, then get good. You know, I've done a book, I've done NFT project, um, webinars, challenges, um, I've done tons of stuff that I had absolutely no idea how to do it until I'd done it, and now I'm knowledgeable. Yes. So that's that's what I did. I started finding rich people, finding out what embarrassed them, find out what they were fearful of, and then the dumb Irish lad from East London would just go along and go, hey, can we do this? And they'd be like, okay. And then I had these people going, oh, my God. God, how did you pull it off? And I'd be like, ah, don't worry about it. But no, I just asked every single time. I love it. I think, you know, I don't know what it is about people that, that in general, this, this just driving fear or this idea that we have to be perfect to do anything, which you realize, you know, at a certain level that not only is that absurd, but that is not how the world works, right? If you have a company... It's way more important to the people you have than you. Like it, the skill set, like the idea that, well, I can't do that because I don't know know how to do that. It's like you literally just described every single owner of a business, yeah. every single one. That is their job. They don't know what to do, so they get people that do know, right? And I, I, there's maybe it's a misunderstanding that people have that they even criticize people that are either in power or entrepreneurs. Like you don't even know how to do that. And it's like, of course they don't. Why would they? That doesn't make sense, right? And uh, I, I, like that's it's just a driving something that holds people back. I mean, it's like it just stops them from even getting started when all it takes is a, yeah, I can figure that out, right? I I don't need to know. I can go find somebody that does. That's not. I that think difficult. that's a problem. I think that's a problem with today though that we never had before. Yeah. You see, how old are you? So I'm thirty nine. 39 years old. So you can remember a time in your life when if you were called an entrepreneur, it was almost a dirty word. Oh, 100%. When I, when, you know, yeah, when I got started, yeah. entrepreneur was not cool. Oh, hell no. Now it's a rock star. Now you've yeah. got kids at school that when they grow up, they want to be an entrepreneur. But basically, if you were an entrepreneur in the 90s, it meant that you were selling stolen stuff out of back of yeah. your car. Yeah. So that's what it felt like. We're in a world now where social 
actually enables us to be laughed at publicly. And we don't like that. And that's what people find off. There was a time in life when people would say, what would you do today if you knew you wouldn't fail? Okay. And that was a great way of stretching your mindset to go, well, I'll try this. But today, sadly, that that term has to be tweaked. What would you do today if you knew you wouldn't be laughed at? Yeah. And the downside today is there's too many poor, annoying, aggravating shitheads out there that are doing nothing other than scrolling through Instagram to go, oh, look at this, scam. Oh, waste of space. Get a real job. Just trying to rip me off. And you get that hate. And they're out there. So today... The world is a lot more verbal and, and social has allowed a lot more stupid people to say what's on their mind that they shouldn't. Yeah, before you would have never heard. Like, you would never, never heard. And if you did, somebody had to say it to your face, which has real consequences. Yeah, they did. <laughs> so it's, that was something that, you know, you thought twice before you said something to somebody because they had real consequences. And I, I actually, it's funny, I, I think posted this on or something just the other day. I said, people that don't want you to win, you should never listen to their criticism. But people that want you to win, you should always listen to their criticism. And people can't discern those two things today. The rando on the internet who, for all you know, some nine-year-old boy and or, you know, you just, you have no clue. They're sensitive to that, which, and I don't mean that like people are, I think in general, we all are. Right, we're sensitive at some level, and but that rando from Milwaukee that you never know, don't care about, you don't know who they are, they don't know who you are. That all of a sudden is having an impact on your decisions and how you live your life and move forward. Uh, that's a pretty scary thing if you think about it, and it's so massively prevalent today. Uh, it's it's hard to put yourself out because you know I open that door, and it leads to almost like interpersonal censoring. I can't be an authentic me anymore because I'm afraid of what will come back. So I'm putting on a show. I'm afraid to say things and ask things because I don't want to look dumb, right? And it's, you you do that enough online and now in the real world, that's how you're acting. You don't want to stick up. You don't want to say anything. And it, it that's not, that's the opposite of success and how you become successful. There's two things, and there's a little tidbit here that may help you out there. I always look at the source, okay? What's the source of that information? Like if someone runs onto something that I've said, and they and we're just talking about the world of social now, but if they come onto them and they go, ah, this is so-and-so, okay, click on who they are, what are they involved in, what's the source? Oh, this is a person that does this, this, this. Okay, a lot of people, believe it or not, Their natural reaction is, oh, this is a scam. Now, why is that? It's because of today. Now, AJ, do you do any uh, speaking gigs? I do. Right, okay, so you're going to understand this. As a speaker, the one thing they always teach you, and I, I, I train people to speak, but the one thing that everyone is always taught as a speaker is, Know your audience. Yep. You've heard that before. Yep. Know your audience. One of the things that I teach that I actually got from a, um, a, comedy, a com- comedic training was 
Know the temperature of the room. Know the audience. Know the temperature of the room. Now, let, us, let me explain that a little bit. When you go to a comedy act or when you go to a rock concert, what comes on before the main act? Uh, another band. It's, it's To warm yep, you warm up, to up. get you ready, to get you there. If that sucks, then the other person's got a tough time, haven't they? Yes. Now, the trouble is, as speakers... We can't dictate who goes on first. Yes. So we're sat there, and the person that goes on before you is a kid that ran over their dog, lost both their legs trying to rescue, and you've got to follow that. Yeah. You know? So, so that's one way of doing it. But if you also look at the temperature of the room being the world, how has that treated us for the past two to three years? We've been lied to. We've been massaged, manipulated. You know, controversy and, oh, I can't trust this. One of the big, biggest taglines, fake news. Yep. Now, before COVID, if I'd have said to you, hey, I can get you a, an article in the New York Times or Forbes, you'd have gone, Steve, I'll take that. Thank you very much. Yeah. But now, everyone's like, oh, you paid your way in. Oh, we know yep. you can just buy your way. Everyone is distrusting. In today's environment, We've been attacked so much with so much different things coming at us and also taking us out of our communication thread. We've actually had a pattern interrupt and we're suspicious. Now, pre-COVID, if someone was talking to you and they were kind of like sending you down a funnel and you're like, hang on a minute, I know you're trying to sell me something, but and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, AJ. They're sending you down a funnel, but you go, oh, this is pretty slick. Yeah. I know I'm being sold to, but I want to see where this I is going. I want to see where this goes. Yeah. Yep. And at the end of it, you end up going, that was smooth. Was good. And you end up buying a comb. Yep. You know, there's yep, exactly. no use to you whatsoever. But it was such a beautiful journey yep. that you, you, you admired the journey. Now, what do we go? You're not going to sell me anything. Yeah. You know, yep. don't you try and sell me. Yep. We've become very resistant. We've become very distrusting. Very. And the temperature of the room is we don't trust what we can see. If I can, if I can lose you weight, if I can make you more money, if I can remove pain from you, your first thing is to distrust it. Not look at it. Not check me out. Just go, you're a scammer. I hate you. Now, that's the temperature of the room. Now, to get over that, be a little bit clearer with your message. Now, you're still going to get haters. And this is something that people always used to tell me to do. If you get people hating on you on social, don't respond. Okay? I can't do that. Someone starts throwing some shit. I mean, like I had this guy the other day. I did a training course for, um, it was like an eight-month speaker camp. And uh, I did a three-day challenge. Free of charge. Three days, unloaded everything. I had Dan Fleischman, I had Jim Quick, Kasim Aslam, uh, Brian Go I had a whole bunch of guests. Come on. Three days, I unloaded on you how to be a better communicator and how to get me to be paid on stages. Okay? For free. And this guy went on there and went, scam. Mm -hmm. And I went, is this because I charged you to be on the webinar? Oh, no, wait. I didn't charge you to be there. Is this because I provided free links to material to help you? Oh, yeah, I did that. But no, I didn't charge you. 
hang on a minute, how the fuck is this a scam? Yeah. And I put that on there. Yeah. He never responded, but a bunch of other people did. In that, a couple of people did throw hate. But you see, here's the thing. I had no comments on that thread. Now I was up to about 60 comments. And it all came and stemmed from hate, of which yes. still I was getting some people peppering at me. You'll be amazed at how many people were throwing shit at me because I still had earrings. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I can't be successful because I got earrings and I look like this. But here's the thing you don't understand. While all of this is going on, Instagram, who has no feelings, is going, whoa. There's a conversation handle in here. We better push this up. Yep. My algorithms were sending this all the way through. So when you get a bit of hatred, before you think, oh, I better remove that. Don't remove it. Maybe respond to it. Hell, ignite it. Let them go. Yeah. Because now the social gods out there are going to go, hang on a minute, there's a conversation going on here. We're going to push this up to the top of the thread. So my shit was getting seen. Now, if I get, I don't know, Jay Abraham goes, Steve, I don't like this. Hey, I'm going to stop and listen, because I love Jay. Yeah, Brandon Turner says, Steve, this is off. Brandon, why is it? But as you say, the little prick from, you know, where the fuck are we? I'm not going to pay any attention to, other than the fact I am going to use your hate and stupidity to trick the algorithm gods into giving me more viewers. And by the way, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're helping me be more successful. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. It's so true. It seems like we do. We live in an environment where it's everybody distrusts everyone. And we believe that what you see is fake. There's always a catch. And, you know, just kind of like you said, it, you know, before, even when I'm talking or when I'm out there and I find this with entrepreneurs and people that are trying to build something, they do not want to ask. I don't want to ask. Why? Because everybody's going to say, this is scamming. I don't want to ask somebody for a sell. I don't want to sell my product and ask, hey, you, you should buy my product. Or I don't want to give free information out and then ask for a sell. I should just give the free information out. There shouldn't be right a catch. And for me, when I look at it, when we're doing webinars, when we're building that stuff, we say, listen, I'm going to give you an, a webinar that's an hour-long webinar of free information. Partway through that webinar... I am going to offer one of my communities that you can be in. That's the price for admission is that you have to listen to my advertisement. I'm not doing this every single week, right? So you can just endlessly use me, right? And I, I think being radically honest about that, I'm like, I'm not ashamed of my products. I'm not, I'm happy to give you information. Why? So you know, I'm legit. It's like a testing period of my product, right? And I, it's hard though to get people to believe in themselves or their products enough to where they're okay with that hate that comes along with it. They're okay with people not wanting to be sold. And I'm like, well, how big's your target market? 1% or less of the population? That means that 99% of everybody's not gonna want your product. So you can't sell, you can't be an entrepreneur, you can't be in business if you're afraid of people being mad that you're selling your product. How do people get over that? Do we care? I don't. You but know, it seems that a lot it, of people do. <laughs> no, it's it's there's the daft thing is there's nothing that gains more loyalty, love, and attention 
than pain and misery. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine, um, he was he, he wanted to be a speaker. He had been speaking, not at any big gigs, but I was going to be working with him to get him up. And he said, I need to generate a following. And I said, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Keep promoting what you're talking about. Keep... And he hooked into the controversy theorists. And he started to go, oh, you know, this is happening in the world of COVID. Could it be because of these people? Do... And all of a sudden, all the nutbags in the planet came out and started joining him. And he went from like about 400 followers to 26,000. And yep. he's like, I've got a great following now. And I'm like, no, you don't. You know, you've got no one there that will actually pay or join or commit. They'll all just sit there and cast the same amount of shit and hate that you're now perpetuating. You know, you've become a conduit and a hub. And any stage out there that's looking for a speaker is looking at the stuff that you're puking up just to get people around you, and they're not going to touch you like a barge pole. No. And so... You've got to understand, what am I actually doing? What am I true to? What am I? And then if people do, and inevitably there will be, the people that go, I'm not paying for this. Oh, you're trying to sell. Let them go. Yep. Because there's no point in wasting your energy on those because they're already setting us up. They ain't going to be any smarter. And what's going to happen is they're going to hit that 50s and bitch the life's life's they're going to be sitting there in that trailer park moaning the life served them a bad deal. And yep. so you can only help those people that want to be helped. And I've always said, and I've said it loud and I've said it often and I've posted it and I'll get a t-shirt one day. If they don't pay, they don't pay attention. Yes. 100%. Now your new book, you, you kind of talk about this almost dichotomy of these large goals, small action, right? Uh, this is something that um, I, I, I love that you've this this idea because e- either people they have big ideas they don't want to execute them on them but what walk us through how this idea of you know you have these maybe big goals that are almost you either feel embarrassed about or right you don't want to talk about it so because you don't have any idea how to get there. So I have a big idea that I want to accomplish, but I don't want to talk about it. I want to tell anybody because I have no idea how to even get there. And because I don't have an idea to get there, I'm not even going to get started. Do you not want to tell anyone about it because you're scared of maybe being a bit snickered at? See, that's that's the... some I Look, I wrote book number one. And then I did the audio book for that. And these were two of the most painful moments of my life. Um, and I swore... I'm never writing another book again. I'm a one and done. You'll never see me doing another book. Forget it. And then this thing called COVID came across. And I get quite aggravated quite easily. And early on in COVID, I was getting really pissed off. Now, I travel. Me and you, we met when I spoke at Brandon's Maui event. So I'm used to being on planes and flying the planet. I've got clients all over the world, blah, blah, blah. COVID came along and all of a sudden, I couldn't fly anywhere. So now I'm no longer on a plane, no longer traveling, no longer out of my house. I'm now spending 24-7 with my kids and my family. It was like being given the only thing that I couldn't purchase, time. I had an abundance of it. And do you know the beautiful thing? 
You know when you try and phone someone up and they're like, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't get you a, a call with him because he's busy, he's flying, he's traveling. Well, none of those people were anymore either. Yeah. So all of the people that I needed to connect with were loving the chance to interact with someone and I was getting through to absolutely anybody. And I was on Twitter, hey, I'd love to chat with you. Great idea, let's do a Zoom. Oh, I'm like, Jesus Christ, five years I've been trying to get a hold of you. Six months into COVID, and it's a lot. My Zoom account was going nuts, and I was so lined up with calls. But you were getting all of these pricks out there going, well, I finished binge watching The Sopranos. How else can I waste my life due to Netflix? You know, thank you very much. I'll binge anything. And I'm like, hang on a minute. You've been given a gift here. Yes. You've been given a pleasure. And I started to do these blogs. And I started to do these Facebooks and LinkedIn. And I was moaning at the way people were ignoring this gift that we've been given. And then all the hatred. Did you notice at the beginning of COVID, we couldn't talk to each other? Okay. Near the end of COVID, Me Too, Black Lives Matter, Asian hate, Trump. All of a sudden, we're protesting. We went yes. from not being able to talk to each other to literally running out of our apartment buildings to join in any march, statement, or conversation out there. But here's the daft thing. Two other things were launched during COVID, the cancel culture and the gotcha society. We went from not being able to communicate into now spewing hate. Hang on a minute. That person dressed up as a penguin in 1984. How disrespectful to penguins. We're going to fuck his career and close him down. And we almost went on a, on a, well, we managed to cancel that person. Oh, we managed to cancel that. And it became a chance. So now you, with your goals, are scared to say anything in case someone throws smear or hate on it. And I thought to myself, anybody that we revere, Larry Page, Steve Jobs, Henry Ford, Walt Disney, Elon Musk, they all did amazing things that literally people would protest against. Yep. Because they were crazy. They yep. were ridiculous. Let me ask you this. What do you drive? I drive a Toyota Tundra truck. Okay, so you like trucks? Yep, I do. The Tesla truck. Do you like the Tesla truck? I don't. You don't like it? No. You don't? Why not? Just the look. You just don't like it? Yeah. Just so you don't want to buy one? No. Did you see it on TV when he unveiled it? Oh, yeah, I watched it. I was, I was. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a minute, AJ. You don't like it, but he still had your attention. A hundred percent. I still even look at the updates. I actually, I did a, an interview. I think this was about a year ago, and it made me laugh. And it was with this um, Korean university girl. And I said to her, I said, uh, and I used this story with her. And I said, um, what do you drive? She said, I have a bicycle. And I went, oh, okay, what do your family drive? We all have bicycles. I said, oh, do, do you want a car? She said, I'd love a car, but I doubt if I'll ever get a car. And I went, oh, do, do, do you like trucks? No, I hate trucks. There's no point of trucks here in Korea. And I went, oh, did you see the test? Oh, yeah, we sat around the TV and watched that. So the point is, Elon Musk had the attention of people all over the world, whether or not they liked the product or not, he had your attention. Now, get this bit. He sold out every deposit possible before the end of his live stream, before a single bolt had been manufactured. 
Okay. So he sold out everything he could before he even started building it to a worldwide audience that didn't even really care about what he was doing. But do you remember the news the following day, the headlines the following day from that unveiling? They were crazy all over the place. What was the number one headline? What was the number one headline that they actually talked about after he did the unveiling? Can you remember? Uh, Yeah, when he shattered, the window broke. He offered his truck with bulletproof glass, and then the guy throwing the rock at the glass penetrated the glass. That's right. Now, we didn't revere him for grabbing the attention of the planet. We didn't revere him for actually producing something that had never, ever been produced before. The only thing that was similar to that and another vehicle was it had four wheels and a steering wheel. Because the engine was different, the dynamics were different, the style, the coatings, anything he used, all of that was different. And he sold out of them, but no. Rather than going, hey, congratulations to an entrepreneur. Hey, well done for grabbing the worldwide uh, attention. It was, you broke the glass. Yep. And we wanted to, and that pissed me off. And I started looking through history and I realized we're assholes. Human beings hate change and stupid poor people are very noisy and they protest because they got all else to do. Now, socials come along and someone can trip over in Korea and you can watch it via TikTok in Chicago within three seconds of an upload. So the problem wasn't that we are getting worse it's that we've now got a faster way of distributing our opinions. Yeah. And as that started to happen, I realized that we're not daring to be different. We're not daring to be us. We're yeah. trying to cocoon ourselves in the persona of somebody else because, oh, don't stare at me too much. I'm not going to tell you what I think because all of my friends are, oh, we're going to kind of like, they're going to laugh at me. They're going to snicker. And so nothing ends up getting done. If your friends snicker at your idea you've got the wrong friends you've got to get in a room where and i had this i had an event in uh, hollywood with brandon turner and brandon turner was like hey i'm gonna do this and there was another guy in the room went you know i had the goal of doing half that and i thought that was ridiculous and i didn't share it and you're telling me you're gonna do that and he went yeah and he went i'm joining you me and you were going to do it again. They ended up getting together in Maui and they're doing it. And I think there was two other girls that actually got involved with them as well. The point is, if you can't say what you're going for and get your tribe to support you, then you don't have a tribe. 100%. I couldn't agree more with that. And I think, too, you have to realize that it's okay. Like you don't, not only do you not, are those people not support you, but you need to actively be pursuing those that will. Yeah. You need to actively be cultivating because you're never going to have everybody agree with you, like you. People are just douches, right? Yeah. That's just, you know, and so you need to find those that do and you need to forget about the rest. Yes. And you need to not be afraid of doing big things and trying for big things. It's actually, I think the opposite. I think we we have a society that is, they don't want it to sound ridiculous. They don't want to be ridiculed and they don't want to go tell other people what they're trying to do. And I, I mean, you hope that your kids have the 
audacity to try big things because at the end of the day, we're freaking ending up in the dirt anyway. So why mm. not? It's like, I mean, <laughs> great. You were average and that was a, a win. Like, <laughs> I, I don't understand that at all because you're going to be gone. So I, it's, it's a big, big thing. Now your new book coming out, how do you do the opposite? You said, focus on the basics. So you have yeah. this big goal, but then that's totally the opposite, right? You have a big goal. Now walk through the other side. Focus so on the, the book's actually out. It came out in yeah. October. Um, Go mm -hmm. for Stupid, The Art of Achieving Ridiculous Goals. First of all, if you have a goal and you can say it verbally, not in your head, if you can vocalize your goal and it doesn't make you nervous or doesn't make someone laugh at it, it ain't big enough. Now, here's Good the daft thing. Yeah. Here's the daft thing. There is a high probability you're not going to achieve it. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. here's the daft thing. I don't want you going for what you feel you can achieve. Because it's usually two inches from, from your fingertips. Okay. You're not stretching yourself too much. But I give you an audacious goal. And all of a sudden, it's so ridiculous. Oh, that could change the world. It could change my people. It could change my family. That is a ridiculous goal. And you fail and you get only halfway, which ends up being 3,000 times further than, than you, you would have pushed yourself. When I had the client that wanted the amazing, um, he wanted the uh, dining experience in Florence, I went for a ridiculous goal. And do you know the funny thing that happens? When you keep going for ridiculous goals, you start getting them. And yeah. all of a sudden, when you get it, people are like, I want to now live by his standards. I yep. want to live by what he can achieve. And all of a sudden, you, stand a, you end up adopting a tribe of people going, look at that, that bald, ugly biker from East London. If he can do it, I'm out of excuses already. And that's what I try to tell. So the bottom line of it is, by asking and being prepared to be laughed at or whatever, getting a no, but by doing it repetitively you suddenly start breaking that down and you suddenly start getting through to it. It's the minuscule things. Show up with care. Show up with a win-win. Show up with um, clarity. And that's the key to that. A lot of people get go way off beat here. Clarity is king in a confusing world. Yes. You've got to be able to turn around and go, I am a plumber. I clean the <laughs> out of your pipes. Yes. I am a hairdresser. I make you look gorgeous. You've got to be crystal, crystal clear with the solution you are. And then all you've got to do is find a sandpit with people with that problem. And today we're like, have you ever thought of this? And what about this? You go off on a tangent. People don't have patience. Today the world yes. is distorted and distracted. And they don't have patience to put up with your phenomenal woolly content. They want to get to the point. Who is this person? Can they help me? And do I want to be part of that sandpit? I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, dude, I, I mean, we could keep going on, but I, I want to respect your time. We're at that hour mark. Tell me, please, tell our listeners, where can they go to learn from you, to find out more about you? Anywhere. I'm at stevedsims.com, but if you go to Instagram, Twitter, any of these, Steve D. Sims, you'll find me on the exact same anywhere you consume your social. Hey. Brother, thanks for coming on here. I appreciate it. It was great seeing you, and we'll talk to you soon.
It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.